What's going on, guys? So today I'm sitting down with uh, Jeffrey Verity Schofield. For the longest time, actually, that I've known you, I thought it was Schoenfeld. I just kept reading it as Schoenfeld. And uh, it wasn't until like a couple months ago that I that I was like, oh, it's Schofield. And that blew my mind for some reason. But uh, anyways, here you are, man. So first off, thanks for jumping on. Uh, really excited to, to have you here. And um, for, for those who maybe don't know who you are and what you've been doing in the industry, can you give a little bit of an overview? Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me on, on the show. Um, yeah, it's, it's Schofield. It's not Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld is, I'm not quite that uh, prolific, <laughs> prolific yet. Um, and I'm not really, well, I, I sort of am science-based. So, so I guess to back up, um, I'm in a YouTuber and an online coach. And I also write on Quora. And so I'm on, you know, a bunch of different platforms, Instagram. I, you know, just a generic content creator, you know, nothing, nothing amazing, not, you know, nothing not a world record setting anything, just sort of enjoy lifting and, and like making content and, and you know, like helping people. So, um, but not, but not this like two to three years. So I'm, I'm sort of still kind of new to it, I guess. Crazy. I actually thought you would have uh, been at it for, for quite a bit longer um, just by like your, your following, I guess on, on like Quora and YouTube and things like that. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's 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 you know grown pretty, I guess, consistently and steadily. Um, and I sometimes get people asking me like to make a video, like tips for content creators, and I just feel like I'm way too new, <laughs> way too new to this to like to make that video, um, or like I'll get coaches asking me like to make a video for coaches, like tips for online coaches. And I just feel like you know I'm still you know, learning about how things go myself. So, you know, yeah, I've only been out at like about two years on YouTube roughly, and then almost three years on, on Quora. Uh, and I've only been lifting like seven or eight years. So I, I kind of got a late start. I only started when I was 25 years old. And so sometimes I get questions from people who are like, I am 26 years old. Is it too late to start lifting? And I'm like, no, no, it's definitely not, not too late to start lifting. Um, like you don't have to start when you're, you know, nine years old and selected by the government or something. No, like you can start at any time and your progress should always be like pretty good. You're, you'll, you'll get newbie gains no matter your age, pretty much. That was always kind of a funny question, like whenever it cropped up, because like, I mean, there are certain things that I can remember about being a novice and you're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty normal. But I don't think I've ever, ever even had the thought of, is it too late for me to start doing anything? It just yeah, doesn't no. really make a whole lot of sense to me when you'd <laughs> ask that. It's like, can I ride a bike? Is, am, I, is, am I too late? And you're like, uh, yeah, okay. no. yeah, I think it's because um, people, they hear like, oh, the hormones is like the only thing like, oh, your testosterone declines with age. Like, oh my God, I'm, I'm getting TRT ads when I'm 33 years old or something. And so they think they're yeah. just, you know, they're washed up at, at, in their early thirties or something, which is absolutely not the case. In fact, the research is very promising for older people gaining muscle. Like it's not really that much lower. No. And, and to be honest, if you look at like all the world record holders, like in powerlifting, most of them are in their thirties, lots are in their forties and you yeah. do have actually a surprising number in their fifties. You have some in their sixties, but that's like masters world records and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, you can be jacked as hell and super strong 
And that stuff doesn't really affect you until you're kind of like 55. And yeah. even then I'm not convinced that it affects you that much. Like it's like, okay, you're not going to be gaining as much as fast, but that's assuming you've kind of already been training for like 20 years, real hard and real well. So, um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of nonsense out there. The recently I've been seeing a ton of shit on terkesterone. <laughs> just like yeah. the yeah. number of people that I see promoting that garbage. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, it, it's like, if you were to be like, Hey, I've been taking this and it seems to work pretty well. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Sure. But that's kind of as far as it can go. And I've literally been seeing so many people promoting it being like, Oh my God, I made these gains. And I'm like, Oh, you mean just completely average gains that you would get off <laughs> yeah. of any program? Yeah, yeah. What a shocker, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty unreal how much, I mean, there's, there's, basically no scientific evidence for it there's one study which uh i mean what any time you have one study like it could just be statistical error anyway plus that study was like absurdly underdosed um jeff nipper did a big video on that where it was yeah. like 16 times under what it said on the label and they still made really good gains and so you got to sort of wonder like why and then they had the placebo group losing muscle while gaining strength and gaining weight, which is kind of hard to, so they gained weight, they gained strength, but they lost muscle. That that's sort of a tough, yeah. tough, you know, thing to, to wrap your head around. And I think it's just, it's overhyped and you'll get the people who are selling it, making these, you know, personal claims that have really no evidence behind them and clearly very biased and I would say it's just best to wait. Just, I mean, in a few years, there's going to be a lot more research on it just because it's such a hot topic, but there's no FOMO when it comes to supplements. You know, you don't have to be fearful of missing out on something. If you wait, you know, it, it's probably very, very similar to creatine at best where you get some water retention and that's where the extra weight is coming from. These claims of like, oh, I put on, you know, four pounds of muscle in a month. Well, yeah, you can do that if you take in a lot of salt for a day, right? You get you get water retention. Uh, maybe it helps your pump, but is it actually going to be helping you gain muscle long term? Probably not. And even if it does, it seems to be very individual. And the people who seem to get the best gains are the ones who are following these creators. And you know, you see them always commenting on the page of these creators, and then they're like, "Oh, I got amazing results." Well. You know, I've seen you basically follow this guy religiously for the past couple of years. And then you say you got great results and now you're also selling it and there's a discount code. So I think it's best just to sort of chill and then wait because you don't really miss anything by waiting for more information. And that information could very well just say, hey, it does pretty much nothing. Yeah, I guess it's the funny thing to me about this one in particular is it's like creatine is pretty much the only thing you're going to get that's as close to a silver bullet. You yeah. know what I mean? And no one's going around being like, man, I started creatine and in a month I put on four pounds of muscle. <laughs> like no one says that. And that's yeah. something that has been so heavily researched and yeah. used like anecdotally for a really, really long time. And, and the funny thing about that too is like, I'm not dismissing anecdote, but 
there's a like anecdote is not just equivocal across the board. It's like, there's some people that I trust more than others. And when I see like 150 noobs who have like less than a year worth of experience at lifting and they're like, Oh my God, you know, I put on like 10 pounds on my squat. And I'm like, yeah, you, you literally could have done that not going to the gym because you've never lifted <laughs> like, n- like nothing about that is shocking. So it's like the, the stuff that I'm hearing, like if, if I start hearing like world record breakers being like, holy fuck, man, I took this. My recovery's great. I actually noticed I got leaner and this and this. Then I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'll definitely start paying attention. But yeah, the claims that I've heard recently, I'm just like thoroughly unimpressed because either it's like something that you would just almost expect off of basic training and or just a blatant lie. Like, I don't know if you saw what's his name's. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. He posted like a 30 day transformation for trichesterone or whatever. Oh, Jesse like James West. Maybe. Yeah. Someone sent it to me and, and I, I don't know who he is, but I remember seeing that and being like, yeah, bullshit. <laughs> like one, you can, you can very clearly tell that those photos were probably taken the same day. You know what I mean? Like it, it would be really easy to do that. And so I'm just, I don't know, not, I'm not holding my breath, but um, yeah. yeah. I find it funny that a, a lot of the time the, you know, they'll call out the transformations <laughs> when they're, you know, not selling the product that they're selling. So when it's in their best interest, they'll be like, oh, no, this is bullshit. Like, this is how you can manipulate a transformation through posture, lighting, uh, angles, et cetera. And then, I mean, you can do a ton with posture, right? Like if you stick your belly out and have the bad lighting and the bad angle, you can look like 35% body fat. And then, you know, you suck in the belly, get good lighting, uh, put on a tan, you know, flex, especially with a pump with, with that good angle. I mean, you can look closer to 10%, right? So it's just, you know, a lot of transformations, they are manipulated. I would say most transformations are manipulated, even from like reputable companies, because a lot of people, you know, let's say there's a transformation challenge. These people want to win the challenge. And yeah. so they, they take a shitty before picture and the best possible after picture. And everyone is doing this because everyone wants to win. And it might not be the fault of the creator, but it's not entirely honest either. I've posted a few transformations. I try to keep it as honest as possible. I don't even post them anymore just because some people are like, oh, these results are not great. And I'm like, yeah, he lost 10 kilos, 22 pounds while gaining strength in a couple months. Like that's, that's like, that's a good transformation, right? It just doesn't look that impressive. Yeah, honestly, it's funny because when people say like, oh, I think I've got like 20 pounds to lose, I don't think they realize what 20 pounds actually looks like because 100%, I agree with what you're saying. Like I've had tons of people who've lost 20 pounds and they look slimmer, like they look yeah. they look leaner for sure, but they don't look like jacked right. lean, like they don't look shredded. It's like, that's just going to trim you down, but it's not going to do fuck all for, for your muscle. And even if you're training pretty well either, it's like, it, it takes a long time to put on that kind of muscle to actually make you look jacked. So I, I definitely understand what you're saying. And those transformations that you see, like, yeah, there are a lot more than just, I lost X amount of weight. It's like, I lost this plus I had yeah. like nine months to put on X amount of muscle. Actually nine months isn't even that long, but like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting sometimes seeing that new actually does a pretty good job of that is RP. I find they standardize their 
their yeah. their photos pretty well for the most part. I have seen some ones that are a little bit iffy, but like you said, there's kind of an incentive there for people doing contests. But for the most part, I feel like they're fairly fairly transparent and pretty accurate. Like usually in like daylight and just kind of yeah. same same setting or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, they're good. Yeah. They're really good. So when I guess we'll kind of get into it, but on a little bit of a tangent here, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> um, when when people are coming to the gym first off, like when they're training for aesthetics, um, since I know that's more down your alley, what are some of the the main issues that you see when people begin that journey or kind of, you know, a couple months in, let's say? Yeah, so I would say I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, in general, hypertrophy training is a fairly forgiving goal, right? Like strength is quite specific, but hypertrophy... You can use a bunch of different exercises and get pretty similar progress, pretty similar gains, a uh, variety of rep ranges, variety of loading, like you can go heavier, you can go moderate, you can go lighter. You know, your rest times are to a certain extent negotiable, your frequency, your volume, you know, all these things, they do have a significant amount of wiggle room. So you do see like, oh, you have Arnold who did a ton of volume and then you have Mike Menzer who did one set to failure, high intensity training. And I even see natural guys who either do quite high volume. I'm sort of in that side of things. Uh, but then I've also seen good progress from high intensity training where it's one set to failure. And I, I do know natural guys who have gone down that road and you can build a lot of muscle with a very, very high effort per set type of situation. So you would think that if hypertrophy is such a flexible goal and you can achieve it in so many different ways, that it should be really easy, right? And everyone should be hugely jacked, but that's not the case, right? Because people still, still, they still manage to mess it up. So they have this huge variety um, in terms of like wiggle room of what they could do in, in the sets and the reps and all these other parameters, but people are still messing it up. And so uh, I would say effort is a big one. And I don't like to say, Hey, just train harder than last time because that's not really a long-term sustainable thing. Right. Like I actually did that for many years, but I ended up just putting in a lot of effort, but that effort wasn't really very efficiently put out. Right. Like you see people who try very hard, but they don't actually seem to make all that great of progress. And other people, you know, maybe they're not just straining and destroying themselves every single set, but they're making better progress. So I think, you know, maybe that's not the most important thing, but it's certainly a factor. And I would say learn to use. RPE or reps in reserve. So rating of perceived exertion or how many reps you have left in a set. You don't necessarily need to track it or count it unless you're a power lifter. And even then, I'm not sure if everyone uses it, but you have to know how close you are to failure, right? And if you're eight reps away from failure, 10 reps away from failure, and studies have shown this where they said, okay, take your usual 10 rep working weight and just do as many reps as you can. And a lot of people were getting 18, 20, 20 plus reps. And so their typical set was like eight, 10 or more reps in reserve. And that just is not going to be efficient or effective for hypertrophy training. I think maybe for strength training, there's a, a time and a place for it, um, especially for like technique work, or if you're a little bit stronger, you don't want to get as beaten up. But for hypertrophy, yeah, training in fairly close proximity to failure 
especially on the easier exercises, the isolations, the machines, et cetera, I would say that's a good idea. Consistency is a big one. So I'll get a lot of client intake forms and it's like, okay, 2014, I exercised. 2015, I did not. And then it's like, you know, they're up there on this roller coaster and you don't lose muscle quickly, but it's also time spent not gaining muscle. And then when you do resume training, you've lost the work capacity, you've lost the recovery capacity. And so you sort of have to play catch up. And, you know, you can take a week off or two weeks off even a few times a year, and that shouldn't impact things too much. But if you're taking months and months off here and there every year, you know, you're just going to be playing catch up and you're sort of just wasting time. So I would say consistency is a big one that I see pretty often. Um, if, if that's lacking, yeah, it's going to impact your progress. Uh, technique is not the biggest thing, but certainly I see some people, you know, they want to get big legs and then they're squatting like part of the way down and the hips, it's just going back and you're not going to get big legs from quarter squatting. Uh, it's just, it's just not going to happen, right? Like your knees are going to, you know, that's going to be a limiting factor for most people. Um, you know, and just, just directing the tension where you want to actually build, I think is a big thing. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things. Sometimes people train like powerlifters when they want hypertrophy and that can work, but it's, it's not going to be optimal. And I think you can try a power building approach and that could work really, really well, but sort of assess your goals and what you actually want. And if you don't want strength and you do want hypertrophy, it doesn't really make sense to max out a lot or, you know, to do a bunch of sets of, of two and triples and stuff like that. And yeah, there, there's a bunch of stuff. Um, it's mostly just focusing on the basics, you know, no TikTok, Instagrammy BS where it's like, you know, these, these BOSU ball bullshit exercises, and, you know, just focusing on the basics, working hard, being consistent. And, you know, those aren't necessarily marketable, which is why you don't see them all that often, but that is what is going to put on the vast majority of your muscle. Eating enough food is a big one. I see a lot of people main gaining at 140 pounds or something. And, you know, they're worried about their abs, but they just need to really eat and be, be willing to put on a little bit of fat in order to put on a lot of muscle. Because if you're always under eating, it doesn't matter if you're doing everything else right. You just don't have the energy to actually build that muscle. Yeah, there, there's quite a few things in there for sure that I've seen a lot. I've definitely seen a lot of like sort of ambivalence around training. So, you know, I want to get really jacked. Then it's like, okay, well, you're always hitting like one RMs on your bench press and deadlifts just like randomly. Yeah. And then you come in and you're beat up and then you try and hit your, you know, beat your old week, you know, for, yeah. for volume and you're beat up. And it's like, well, gee, I wonder why, you know, but. That was me uh, for a long, for a long time. I yeah. think that was everyone, you know, at one point, like <laughs> I, I used to be like a big advocate of high volume. Um, I'd say over the last year and a bit, I've switched to much more of a focus on high intensity, very high effort and lower yeah. volume. And I found actually that people can recover better, whether natural or enhanced, they tend to recover yeah. a little bit better. Um, and there's also an adaptive period to that, obviously, and some individual differences, but um, I've, I've found quite a bit of success with that. But, but at any rate, like um, the whole maxing out thing, that's definitely been a huge thing. And then, um, gosh, what is it? Uh, yeah, you, you said, I think you said something like tra training the, 
the muscle that like the desired muscle and you talked about squatting yeah. that's a really common one too like people will be doing rows but then they're like basically turning <laughs> a just a basic row into like a back extension or like an rdl yeah. if it's a barbell row and yeah. and it's like i mean you're moving the weight but yeah this is not a sport where you move the weight this is a sport where you be big and that's it <laughs> you know yeah, yeah exactly and, like uh, um yeah. sorry just to, the row thing like the barbell row you can do in so many different ways. And, you know, if you're using a row with a lot of momentum that might carry over to your deadlift, but in terms of like getting bigger lats or traps, probably not the way to go, right? Like you're better off using machine or chest supported row or cables or something like that, just where you're actually targeting the muscles that you want to target. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, and, and I guess it's part of the learning curve too. And um, oh, what was the other thing too? Yeah, eating. Like I honestly will be the first person to call out, call bullshit on the whole hard gainer thing or non-responder. I guess I should say. Yeah. Like whenever yeah. I see research on non-responders, whenever I hear people saying, "Oh, I'm a non-responder," I'm like, "Oh, cool. Show me what you've been doing." And 99 times out of 100, it's like. I train three times a week. I do way too little and I'm just not eating enough. And they always say like, man, I'm eating so much. And you know what? For sure. It might feel like you're eating a lot, but if you're not gaining weight, you're not eating enough. And it's as simple as that. Um, yeah. You know, subjective experience aside, that that's not really a relevant fact, like a point there. And it, the, the thing that you said about um, the research and, and uh, estimated like reps and reserve is really interesting too, because uh, like I use RPE and RIR with a lot of my athletes, um, yeah. whether it's strength or bodybuilding or whatever. And the first like month or two is usually just coaching them on how to apply enough effort to the exercise. Like I'll see them doing stuff and, and they're going man. And, and then I'm like, cool. I want you to double the weight. And they're like, what? But I'm dying. And I'm like, yeah, double the weight. <laughs> and then they do it. And then I'm like, okay, now I want you to add about like 6% more. And they're like, what? Oh my God, that was so hard. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Keep pushing. And by the end of it, like, so a great example actually is I've got an athlete of mine. She's stupid strong. So she's uh, 50. Are you kilos or pounds over there? Uh, kilos, but I can, I can okay. think it either. So she's, she's a 56 kilo uh, lifter. And in her next meet in April, she'll pull 190 kilos, like no yeah. problem. Um, wow. Her squat, she squats like a hundred and she'll squat about 150 and bench about 85 or 90. Right. And, and she's like, you know, the size of my leg. Right. And uh, so she was doing Bulgarians with like, I think like 40 pound dumbbells or something like that, which for hers, you know, look, you look at her and you're like, Oh, that's quite good. And then I remember like, one time she was like, yeah, I just, I don't know if this exercise or whatever. And I was like, oh, let me see your, let me see your assistance work. So then she sent me a video of her Bulgarians and I was like, jump up to 70. And she's like, no way. Jumps up to 70. And then the next week I thought it'll go to 80. So she goes to 80 and she smokes it. And it's like, she is someone who works extremely hard. Right. But sometimes, you know, you put all your effort in the main lift, at least for power lift. Sometimes you put your effort in the main lift. And then accessories kind of are like, yeah, it's not as important, you know, because it's not my sport. Right. And I'm yeah. sure that happens a ton in, in bodybuilding too. So it, it's like, maybe you put a ton of effort in the top exercise, but maybe the other one's not as much. And then it's like, are you doing a bunch of junk volume or is it all really productive? And so, so yeah, I don't know. 
Um, how did you learn how to, I guess, push to, to the, that actual threshold? Cause like, I see some of your training on your stories every now and then. And like, when you're going, it looks like your fucking head's about to explode. Like you're, you're legit going to like that failure rate. So. Yeah. I think this is sort of an interesting thing because often people don't actually talk about how to train harder. Right. They say just, Oh, just do it. Right. Like train harder, but they don't actually sort of give anyone any practical, meaningful, useful advice. I often try to break down a set into pieces. So it's sort of the Tom Platt's mentality of five more reps, right? Like he's doing a set of 20 in the squat or more, and he just breaks it down into five more reps. And if you, if you start with a weight and it's, it's a heavy weight on your back and you know, it's your, it's your 10 or your 12 rep max. And you're thinking, Oh, I have to do 20 reps with this or 30 reps with this. It's just, it seems like an insurmountable task, but you know, you get started, you do five reps, it starts slowing down, you keep going, you get a grindy rep, you stop, you take a few breaths, you keep going, and you just break down that set into doubles, basically. Doubles, and then by the end, you're probably just breaking it down into singles, trying to hold everything together, focus on your technique, and by the end, you're, you're not even breaking it into singles, you're breaking it into like phases of the lift. So time, your perception of time changes to where it's not slowing down or speeding up. It's just becoming more thinly sliced. So the last rep of a really hard set, it's not even one rep. You're breaking it down by, okay, here's the eccentric. Here are the positions that I want to hit. Okay, here's the bottom position. Now I'm coming up. I know where the sticking point is. I'm trying to drive through it. And you're just slicing that even more finely to try to get the most out of every single rep of that set. And, you know, you don't necessarily need to train to failure, especially on the big movements. And I think if you're strength focused, you know, there's a pretty strong case for, for not training to failure. But if you do choose to go to failure or train really, really, really hard, I think breaking it down in that way can be very, very useful. And then some people have said that it's genetic, like effort is genetic. You know, uh, oh, your, your discipline is genetic. I, I find this just to be a cop out right? Like maybe there is a genetic aspect to it. There probably is. You see some people, it's just like from the first moment, they just know how to push themselves and other people don't. But I would say this is mostly learned and you can have that mindset of, of pushing harder. Rep speed is another one. So if you finish your set and the last rep was the same speed as your first rep, yeah, you probably weren't that close to failure, right? Like there should be some slowing. There doesn't necessarily need to be technique breakdown but there should be some slowing and it is fairly predictable for most people and most exercises. Some people say that, Oh, I just can't grind. Right. Like I, you know, my, my eighth rep is one speed and then I fail the next one. And there was no slowing. This might happen on some movements with a really sharp sticking point. So, you know, maybe it's a close grip bench press and either you blow through the sticking point or like you hit it and you can't get through it and you just fail the lift. There might be a fiber type component to this as well. Often though, I think this is sort of a cop-out and someone never really learned how to grind. So they didn't actually learn how to hit, you hit that sticking point, you know where it is and you just fight through it. And, you know, they might say, oh, I'm fast switch. And so they just, they just, oh, I'm, well, I guess I'm fast switch. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't grind. And 
you know, choose, choose exercises that are grindable as well. So something like a spider curl where, you know, you're lying on a bench, uh, chest down, face down, and you're curling up. So the hardest part is at the top. It's not like a normal curl where you're standing and, and the sticking point is somewhere in the middle. It's at the top. And this makes it very, very grindable because you either get to the top or you have to really fight to get it all the way up. And you can see and you can say, okay, well, that was a good set, but you had like three or four more reps. And they're like, what, three or four more reps? Then, yeah, it's almost like you said adding weight and you just tell them like, nah, you, you had a little more. And, and you look at their face and they just kind of look like kind of bored during the set sometimes. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, well, you were kind of just going through the motions. And this is where knowing the client or knowing the person is super important because some people you kind of have to coax into the effort and just sort of be more gentle with them and say, okay, well, maybe you had a few more reps, right? Like, you know, not be an ass about it, but other people, you know, uh, I'm working on this one guy, he's ex-military. And like, he just told me like, kick my ass, right? Like if you think I should do something and I'm, I'm not at that level of effort, just like, tell me straight up very directly. And so that's what I do because, you know, for him, that's what is optimal for other people. If I took the same mentality, the same mindset, you know, they, they'd probably just give up or it would backfire. So you have to sort of coax them up to this level of effort pretty gradually. Um, and, you know, maybe there is a genetic component, but, you know, there's a genetic component to everything. And so I don't think this is really actionable information anyway. So I don't think it's really worth, worth focusing on too much. Yeah, hundred percent. There, there's a lot of stuff that gets passed on to genetics. So there, there is a genetic component to that. Um, depending on the, the, the researcher, the, you know, whatever it is you're reading. Uh, I know some people will call it grit or even just talking about different like stress thresholds and things like that, or different levels of resiliency and tolerance to, to, um, I guess like acute or environmental stressors. Um, so I have seen some of that research and there does seem to be some, but again, it's, it's a hundred percent like epigenetics. So it's like, you know, yeah. are you actually doing something to, to train and, and build this? And even though that is the case, actually, like, even though there's a genetic influence, that's 100% a malleable, uh, thing. Like it's not this static line where it's like, oh, you know, because it's this, it's genetically predetermined. It's like, no, you have that line. You can definitely push it up. You might not be able to push it up the same as maybe the next person, but you can absolutely get better and get better yeah. by like substantial, substantial amounts as well. Um, yeah, I definitely see that too. And even when people say like, oh, I can't get big or I can't get strong. And it's like, I've literally never met a person that can't get substantially stronger and substantially bigger and more jacked and more lean with proper training and, and dedication. And it's like the whole dedication and behavior thing, that's a whole nother side of it, right? Like that's super tough. And it just depends on like, you know, what kind of trade-offs are you willing to make? What kind of pace are you willing to kind of adopt in order to eventually get to the point where you could achieve certain things? And not everyone's willing to do that. And that's fine. But I've just, I've been coaching for a long time and I've definitely met people who have a much easier time developing strength and, and muscle and all that stuff than others, for sure. They're, that's pretty varied, you know, but I've never met anyone who couldn't get substantially stronger. Like every single person I've coached has gotten yeah. substantially stronger, not world record holder, but like to the point where if you go into a gym, you're like, oh, wow, that's actually impressive, you know? 
Yeah, yeah for um, sure. And that's what people don't realize. Since so many people don't put in the effort and don't put in the work and aren't willing to learn, they're not willing to like actually devote themselves to this. You could have average genetics and be 95th percentile in terms of physique or in terms of strength or in terms of pretty much anything in life you devote yourself to. So if you want to be like a 95th percentile musician or something, and you have just average music genetics or whatever, like you can do that, right? You might not, you might not be 99.9 percentile, like a professional musician or bodybuilder or, or you know, strong man or, or whatever, but because there's that situation where most people aren't even whole assing it, they're just half assing it. If you whole ass it, like you're gonna you're gonna outpace a lot of people, even if they had better genetics, you know, quote unquote genetics than you did. Plus, genetics is such a it's such a generic term, and like I use it just because people generally understand what I'm talking about. But you know, there's a lot of professional bodybuilders who don't have the best genetics, right? Like maybe they have a good response to, to the anabolics or like, but in terms of like their insertions and stuff or their frame, I mean, Phil Heath narrow, right? Like he doesn't have broad shoulders by any means. And so you could say, Hey, well, you know, he has, he has mediocre genetics in that regard, right? Like overall, yeah, absolutely. The gift, but you know, you can find genetic flaws with Arnold. He had a pretty thick waist. Um, and that's why he always turned to the side when he posed just to sort of hide that, hide that flaw. Um, and so I think people are always so obsessed with their flaws without realizing that it, it often doesn't really matter that much. Like if your abs are not perfectly symmetrical and you're on the beach and like you have abs and you have a decent amount of muscle, I mean, you're going to look, <laughs> people don't really care, right? Like it's people analyze themselves and are always way more self-critical than other people are critical of them for sure. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to point out too, that it's much, much easier to go from, you know, the first percentile to the 90th percentile than it is to go from the 90th percentile to even the 91st. Like that, that top, top level, every bit is so goddamn hard to, to get. Like you look at Hussein Bolt and then you look at the next fastest guy and it's like, you know, one one hundredth of a second or one tenth of a second or whatever the heck it is. Like it's, it's not a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, and 100%. so like if I were to run next to yeah. him and be like, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm only like a second and a half behind you. Yeah. It's like that sound. I mean, it's it's so it's a relative metric, right? Like, or it's a relative yeah. measurement. So it's like that might sound like it's not that much, but I mean, fucking yeah. hell, that's yeah. not even that's <laughs> not even anywhere near like national standards to to get where where they are, right? So it's, I mean, yeah. I'm assuming anyways, but that's just kind of numbers pulled out of my ass. But um, eleven yeah, seconds, so, yeah, sounds about right. Sure, yeah, yeah. but uh, but it, it's definitely interesting. And so in terms of um, like actually structuring your training. I know that's something a lot of people struggle with. So like, how do they determine their split? Obviously there's a ton of stuff that goes into it, but you know, even just in terms of like, should I just kind of train everything equally when I'm first starting out? 
Um, if I'm looking and I'm like, Hey, you know what? I want bigger delts. Like, am I supposed to prioritize those? How do I prioritize those? If I do that, is it going to pull away from the other stuff and just kind of getting people started, I guess. Yeah. So I would say the biggest determinant in terms of training split is just the days that you want to be in the gym. And usually if someone is a beginner, even if they want to train six days a week, um, or even seven days per week, often I don't necessarily write a six day a week plan. And I don't think I've ever written a seven day per week plan, um, whether in the gym, seven days a week, every day, just because I, I do think you want a day off a week in most cases. Um, and especially if they're a beginner, I'd much rather have a three or four day per week kind of thing where they're getting sufficient recovery, because that is a big thing for beginners because they are so sensitive to the training. First, they don't need that much training. And second, they can't do that much training, right? Because they don't have those sort of uh, recovery mechanisms in place, especially if they don't have a sports background. They're just like a sedentary. They've been sedentary their whole life. You know, I would say, yeah, three days a week, maybe four, either full body three times per week or perhaps upper, lower, upper, lower. Those are both very, very solid. Um, as you become more advanced, it's sort of, there's two things at play. First is that you're getting stronger. And especially if you get very strong, you might need more recovery in place for hard efforts, right? Like if you're, if you're deadlifting eight or 900 pounds, odds are you're going to need more recovery time from that, right? It's just, so as you're advanced, like you might need to space those efforts out a little bit more and be more mindful about training to failure, et cetera. But then also like your recovery capacity does to a certain extent go up. And, and you can perhaps get away with more volume and you probably need more in some cases to grow. Um, so, and then if, if they want to bring up a certain area, if they're a beginner, I err on the side of just training everything fairly equally because I've heard so many people who they didn't train legs their first year or two, three or four or five, and then they regret it. And then they're like, okay, well now I got to play catch up. And I know that's me with my calves and it's been like eight years and I'm just like, ah, I just don't care, but I know I will care in like a few years. And so I'm like, you know, I have to force myself to do it because I know that I will care in the future, but I don't care now. So I, it's like investing. You don't really care now, but like, you know, you should do it because it'll pay off in the future. Right. So, um, and so that's, that's something I'm trying to sort of coax myself into doing. And that's a lot of beginners with leg training, squatting, sometimes deadlifting, et cetera. Like they want to just bench and curl. And I think Dan Green said something like that was his first year of training. And then an old timer at the gym introduced him to a back workout. And he's like, oh, I didn't even know you could train your back. So, oh, yeah. I heard uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I try to just emphasize the basic movements and training everything fairly equally. And then later you can see, okay, maybe there's a weak point or you want to bring up the arms. If someone had done starting strength, okay, maybe they have lagging arms, maybe their delts need work, et cetera. And it just depends on their training history and then their goals. And then, yeah, how advanced they are pretty much. Yeah. So w one of the funny things too is like some, I mean, I don't really get it so much anymore because I think that probably most of the people who listen to podcasts and who follow me are like more intermediate or advanced kind of somewhere in that range. Um, 
but I used to have a lot of people reaching out to me and, and being like, Hey, how can I, you know, bring this up or how can I bring this up? And I'd be like, uh, like I'd look at them and I'd be like, dude, you need to bring everything up. Like you're 150 pounds and you're, you know, 183 centimeters. Like you, you're just small everywhere. Like you just need to put on muscle anywhere you can, you know? (laughs) And so I would always find it funny when I'd see people doing these like specialized exercises. Like I saw, you know, Phil Heath or I saw Ronnie Coleman, he swears by this exercise and I'm like, you're not Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. Like you just need to put on muscle once you're jacked. Yeah. Then you can start looking at that. But you know, like being skinny does not mean you're shredded, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it just means you're skinny. And so you got to focus on putting on a lot of muscle and actually you said a couple things there too, that were pretty important. Like just even the technical development standpoint, like as your technique gets better, you're going to be able to have higher levels of force production because your yep. body's going to actually internally stabilize more effectively and sense, Hey, this is safe. So it's going to allow kind of like that little governor um, on, on your, on your force production to, to sort of like back off a little bit and allow you to push really hard. So the first yep. couple months or, or whatever, like you could probably not even change anything and just push harder and harder and harder and lift heavier and heavier weights and get stronger and stronger without adding any volume and just improving your technique. And I, I've done that a lot with, with clients. Like I actually use quite a, quite a bit less exercise variation, especially for new people um, just yeah, because sure. they need to get good at it. Cause they don't know how to move properly. And uh, I actually also agree with you as well about the, the whole programming thing. Like I've had lots of people be like, yeah, I'm going to do six days a week. And I'm like, why don't we start with five? I'm like, I know you've got a really high output, but like, I guarantee you when you trained with me, you're going to learn a new level of effort. And then they're like, okay, let's see. And then a lot of the times five is enough. Sometimes you even need to dial it back to four, but we're getting so much more done with less volume. We're doing less wear and tear on the body. That's not as accurate a phrase, but it's, it's sufficient, I guess, but it's like, you're doing less higher output, getting more done. So yeah, definitely, definitely lines up at least with my experience and is kind of what I've seen as well. Um, So in terms of nutrition, I know people really struggle with that a lot. Like there's people who I've seen who go into the gym and train super hard, you know, but they're just not getting bigger. And a lot of that stuff is just going to boil down to the diet. And, and, um, there's a lot of people, things that people struggle with. Like, I know I certainly hit a point when I was gaining where it was just like impossible for me to gain past like 220. It was just this psychological barrier. Not that I was like, Oh, I can't get past it, but just the amount of food that I had to eat. I was like, Holy fuck. Like I just, exactly where that, I was, am. that was tough. So I know what I did that worked really well, <laughs> but like it wasn't, I wouldn't recommend dirty bulks to people, but I was just like, yeah. fuck it. You know, but, um, but yeah. It's so funny so go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Right. It's funny. You mentioned two twenty because I'm like two, two sixteen, two seventeen, And I'm in the same, the same boat, especially with working a lot. Like it's a lot of liquid calories. It's like, you know, it's a lot of food that I might not have as a general recommendation to most people, but like, that's just what is maybe not needed, but that's like what really, really helps. Like I'm not going to grow on chicken breast, broccoli and rice. It's just, I would be eating all fucking day and I just don't have the time to do that. Same with like cooking a bunch of meals. Like, 
So I rather just like just order it and have it be more calorie dense. And then those same foods, I'll get the comments of like, oh, I thought you were in the fitness industry or something. Or like, if it's not like, you know, chicken breast and broccoli, people are just, you know, whoa, what? Oh my God. Like, how can you make gains off of non-clean food? And they don't realize like a lot of professional athletes don't have a super clean diet, especially like when they're in season and traveling around and they're super active and they don't want to lose weight because it's muscle, right? Like they're already lean and they're in the NFL and they're running back or something. And, you know, their, their diet is going to have to be fairly high calorie to hold on to that activity level and muscle. And therefore, and they don't have a ton of time to eat. And therefore often it is quote unquote, you know, dirty foods. And is this like the best for health? Eh, no, but like, if you have a goal, you might have to prioritize other things, right? Like, it just depends on what you want, really. I also don't think it's that detrimental for health either. I mean, so long as you're not, like, if you're gaining, like, insane amounts of weight and you're getting really fat, then yeah, it's obviously not good for your health. But, like, if you're gaining and you're quite lean and you're staying quite lean through your bulk, like, you're gaining a, you know, a very favorable proportion of lean versus fat mass, then yep. I, I don't really see it being as that bad until you really start to get really, really big. So yeah. um, I know for myself, like I, now I eat very, very clean. Uh, like everything I eat is pretty much just like whole food ingredients and stuff like that. It took me an extremely long time to get there and figure out what foods work really well for me. Um, but I do have a couple little things that I do. So like I have a coffee in the morning, but it's one of those little packaged mocha thingies or whatever. So I guess it's not really dirty, but um, I also started buying um, like this big bag of like Kit Kat minis. Um, and I, I just did this like this week is the first time that I did it actually. And it's been really helping. So I just toss it in the fridge. I take out 25 grams, measure it up, fits in my diet, makes it feel like it's not so restrictive. And then I actually started buying like these big ass strip loin steaks. Um, and so I'll have one of those every day. So it's like a hundred grams of protein per, cause I have to eat like 325 grams of protein and then like 400 grams of carbs on my, on my uh, training days and then 60 grams of fat. And that's, I'm cutting right now too. So that that's, those are cutting calories. And so it's yeah. quite, quite a lot of food, but yeah. I make sure that I get it from like good food sources, but I will eat like breads and pastas and things that are, really, really calorie dense with a pretty low yeah. volume. And I think that's a, been a huge, huge help um, because man, before I was doing the whole chicken and rice thing and that was just oh, not brutal. feasible at all. So yeah. having steaks, having pasta, having like, you know, different types of Greek yogurt or whatever, that's really, really helped get the protein and the carbs in and all that stuff or else like, man, yeah, I don't know how I did it yeah. before. Yeah, it's, it's funny because often like bigger guys with more muscle and who are training hard and who are more active, they take a totally different view of calories compared to someone who doesn't have those attributes. So someone who's just a desk worker, you know, maybe uh, they've never really trained before, you know, they're, they're slightly high body fat percentage, like they're skinny fat. They probably look at like just the word calorie as an enemy just calories. You gotta, you gotta get them down. You gotta always be cutting. You gotta volumize. You gotta, you know, use an anabolic diet, which is 
actually catabolic because, you know, for fat loss, right. It's for weight loss. Um, you know, you got to get in your fiber. You got to get in. Like, is is that a diet? The anabolic yeah, yeah. diet? Yeah. They, well, that's the, the marketing side of yeah. things. Oh, wow. It's not really anabolic. It's, it's sort <laughs> of cat- catabolic or anti-catabolic, yeah. I guess. I don't know, but it's certainly not the way most athletes would eat because it's sort of like heading in the, in the opposite direction. Yeah. That most of them want. No, I've just never <laughs> heard that before, but yeah, that that's, that's pretty ironic. Anyways, go on. Sorry. Yeah. So it's like, it's basically a lot of fillers and, and it, it fills you up and it has like, you know, fiber and, and um, you know, for fat loss, I've heard a lot of good stuff about it, but you know, it's, it's just sort of a marketing, a marketing term. And so, you know, if you build up a good amount of muscle and you're fairly active and you're training hard, I mean, you can get away with like way more calories than you can at the start. People think that it's linear, but it's not, it's almost like exponential. Like the more you gain, the harder it is to gain. And, you know, it's almost like walking up a steeper and steeper mountain. And then, you know, when you want to lose, it's a lot easier because you can still eat quite a few, quite a few calories. Um, and it's just, you know, it's this metabolic furnace that you basically built through muscle and then through, you know, an active lifestyle, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's funny, actually, too, because one of the things that I've noticed is the progress that I'm seeing now in my training and diet is like some of the best progress I've ever seen, which seems kind of counterintuitive because, you know, I've been training for, for you know, quite a few years. And, um, but I think a lot of that too is like, you sort of reach this, this point where like, okay, sure. You know, I obviously don't have newbie gains anymore, but then like dietary adherence, uh, just the lifestyle variables lining up, like the level of kind of emotional maturity, your intelligence in terms of like, you know, how you're actually attacking your goals. Like there's all these things that just kind of start to build up and, and, man, it really goes a long way. Like, I, yeah, like I said, the progress I'm seeing right now is so much better than I was when I was a brand new athlete. And, and it's all yeah. just because like, it took so long to develop the, the skill of dieting, the skill of training intelligently, auto-regulating all this stuff. And yeah. Um, yeah and, and, and so it's, 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 uh, it's pretty interesting how that works. And so like, it's almost like the second kind of burst of newbie gains when you start to get like your lifestyle sorted out. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And, you know, people like to paint your gains in terms of strength or, or muscularity as this like diminishing return curve where it's like, Oh, you make the majority of your progress year one. And then year two, like you get a little bit less and then year three, you get a little bit less, right? Like that. I think we've all seen this like muscle growth per year chart. A strength growth per year chart is, is more individual, but like, I haven't seen that at all. I've like, literally never seen that in the real world. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen because everyone fucks up their first year or almost everyone <laughs> fucks up their first year. And even if you didn't fuck up your first year, the things that you did your first year to get your newbie gains, it's going to plateau year two or three or four, or at least it'll slow down significantly. Yeah. And then you're going to have to learn, right? Like training forces you to learn. And then, you know, I'm making better progress now than I did year three, four, even year five, just because I'm, I'm eating more. The training is way more dialed in. It's way more structured. Um, and everything is just a lot more on point than it was 
you know, year three or four where I, you know, I was making okay progress, but not as much as now, even though I'm later in my training career. And, and all those little things go a long way in terms of like the diet, the sleep, eating enough recovery, programming is huge. Like just knowing how to structure things, exercise selection, the technique, everything, man. Like some people, I've seen some people claim to be at their genetic muscular potential. And then like, there's so many things that, that they could do to get over that, right? Like some guys legit are, you know, if they've been training for 10, 12 years and they're doing things right, that's where I think, you know, maybe there's a case for that. But I see some guys, it's like year five and they think, okay, well, I guess, I guess this is it. Well, it is it for your level of knowledge and, and understanding and how to optimize the process. But like, you could be up here if you, if you really, uh, if you really optimize things. So that's actually kind of an interesting concept I've been sort of mulling around in my head is the whole like genetic limit thing, right? Like I'm like, it makes sense that people have a genetic limit. And so it's not necessarily that I'm questioning that, but it's almost like how I perceive what that means is very different now than how I perceived it previously, because yeah. you look at someone like, or yeah, you do know who Dan Green is. You mentioned him earlier. So Dan Green is, is, one of those guys that, again, sort of like throws a wrench in the cogs a little bit for me because it's like he's, I don't know how old he is. He's in his 40s, 40-something 40s, yeah. years old, I think, yeah. right? Um, but he's still hitting like all-time PRs. Yeah, he He's been training for like 25, 27 years. And it's like you could maybe say, okay, yeah, that's the drugs. Maybe. But he's been doing insane amount of drugs for the last fucking <laughs> how many years? So to yeah. me, that doesn't necessarily answer that. And he's by no means the only person who's been doing that. Like, there's lots of people out there who are absolutely like bonkers strong and jacked who just kind of keep getting more jacked. And so I wonder if it's, you know, and I think this is also part of the reason why people are like, oh, well, you know, you're in your 30s, whatever, whatever. I almost wonder, like, do you actually like start losing the strength and losing your potential in those ages? Or is it just that people enter a different phase of their life? And I'm more inclined to believe yeah. the latter, you know, and I, I'm talking about like elite, elite level performance for things. Cause especially recently, right? Like we, at least I have anyways, in, in a lot of different sports, I've been seeing a big shift in terms of the, the age limits of a lot of the athletes. Like you look at combat sports yeah. now before you would never see an athlete who's 40 years old there. Now you see quite a few people who are in their forties who, who are actually champions, you know, and, and that's maybe a little bit different because it's not purely athletic. It's, it's very skill based, but I mean, I don't know. That's just kind of something I don't necessarily have like a, a concrete, this is what I believe yet. I'm just a little bit more skeptical that, that, that genetic limit is really as hard line as people think. I kind of think that as you get better, that limit goes up. I, I don't know about proportionally, but to some relative ratio you know does that make sense yeah it, it, it's hard to say like where you are on that curve or where the curve is right yeah, exactly like, right in theory you'll get diminishing returns but like that's only assuming everything is constant and because we are adaptable humans and we can learn from the dumb shit we used to do because everyone's done some dumb shit like like i certainly have i assume you've done like you, you've had mistakes well, in the past very, like, very everyone very right like, <laughs> yeah like dan green I'm sure he did some stuff 
that, you know, looking back, he's probably like, yeah, maybe that was, maybe that wasn't as optimal or as effective or, you know, you know, we're, we're dudes. Like we do some dumb stuff. It's just like, we try to minimize that more and more over time to get the result that we want. And, you know, ladies can do dumb stuff too. I'm not being sexist, right? It's just often they do less <laughs> in the gym. So, um, you know, you don't know where you are on that curve. You don't know where the curve is. Uh, you don't know how far along you are on the curve because just because you've been lifting for five years doesn't mean you have year five of progress, right? Like you could be year two of progress. A lot of people have been lifting for 10, 20, 30 years and they're kind of still beginners, right? Or, or yeah. intermediate. You, 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 know, you see these guys all the time thing. when you walk into commercial gyms. Oh yeah. That's most people. Like they're yeah. just, they're, they're infinitely plateaued because they never, they never actually learn. They're just, purgatory being themselves because um, they're not actually getting the knowledge and learning from their mistakes and actually growing mentally. Therefore they don't grow physically because at the end of the day, like, yeah, it's physical, but it's like, it's actually mental, right? Because it's, you're not a robot where it's just, everything happens. You actually have to go do it and then assess and analyze and learn from it and then see if you can do better. And so, you know, I guess, yeah, there's a theoretical limit, but then like also maybe physiologically you can perhaps, you know, get new satellite cells and like maybe hyperplasia is a thing, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, so physiologically, I don't think you're ever going to prove there's a limit. Plus, you know, you look back at the guys in the 1930s and forties who like were definitely natural. Some of them were like, they didn't have the best training. They didn't have a lot of these machines. Nutrition knowledge was like pretty rudimentary. They were some pretty damn jacked motherfuckers. And so yeah. I see some people, they're like, yo, the natural limit is 25. FFMI. Yeah. And people are like, like, no, we that saw to people. me, honestly, is bullshit. Oh, yeah. ridiculous. Like, for sure. And I don't think everyone can get to 25 FFMI. But, yeah. you know, there are definitely some people who are going to be 26, 27, you know, maybe even a little bit higher just based on like better nutrition, you know, machines, more consistency. I mean, people, you know, they didn't really train a lot of muscle groups back then. Like having developed glutes was not a thing in the silver era. And the glutes are, I mean, that's like a few pounds of muscle right there. And so, you know, that's what maybe, 0.2, 0 0.3 FFMI just from doing some hip thrust or something. So, you know, it's, um, it's interesting how people think there's a limit based on a situation that was very far from optimal and where, where we were just figuring out how to lift weights and somehow yeah. their result was like the pinnacle of human achievement. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think if people actually optimize things, they can do way more than they expect in a lot of cases. Yeah, 100%. So like when I was natural, my my FFMI or whatever was like 26 point something. Yeah. Um, and I like, I've had no problem gaining muscle, but I have bad genetics for strength. <laughs> like I have to work <laughs> and scrape and fight for every freaking pound that I have that I put on the squat bar, but yeah, muscle, I've literally <laughs> never trained for hypertrophy and I'm like 275 right now, you know, 
<laughs> and I know some people might hate me for saying that, but like, yeah. <laughs> so, so I know that I'm nowhere near, like, I know that for sure, for certain that I can be 320 with like lean abs, you know, like I know that that actually is the goal, but um, like that yeah. literally none of that even seems like a problem to me. It's just kind of an inevitability, but then it's like, will I ever squat 800 in sleeves? I don't know. You know, yeah. like, I don't know, maybe like pro- probably I would say, but I, I don't know. Right. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah. Meanwhile, there's fucking like, I got friends who like, you know, three years into their training, they're deadlifting like eight something. And I'm just like, fuck you. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the same way where um, I've had clients who they ask me my lifts and I tell them and then they're like, damn, I'm almost there, but like, I don't look the way you look. And, you know, they're, you know, they're repping two plates in the squat or something. And they have like these pretty skinny legs and like their working weights are not that far off what I use. And I'm like, like noticeably way bigger. And, you know, there's going to be a backhanded compliment. (laughs) No, it's like, I guess I, a lot of it is genetics and then how you train and stuff. But yeah, there is going to be a variability. And I try to emphasize getting stronger because that is, you know, a very, very efficient way to gain size, but there is going to be some individual variability. And yeah, I'm definitely also on the side of like bigger rather than stronger. And so people hear my best lifts, like my best powerlifting total would be maybe a thousand fifty, right? Like squat bench deadlift, mm-hmm. which is like, I mean, that's it's way, <laughs> it's way smaller than people would expect or or another way to look at it is like i'm way bigger than people would expect based on my numbers um and yeah strength strength just is very very slow for me but it's always accompanied by size gains right like if i put weight on my on my bench you know my, my my chest grows same for squat and legs same for you know deadlift and and you know hips and back and so i still think that taking a strength focused approach, at least for reps and a variety of exercises is still a good idea. Even if you're predisposed to not be gifted for strength, you know, at least yeah. that's how I look at things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of like the blended approach. Like I, I do a lot of concurrent training with my athletes anyways. Um, just cause I find it's a pretty good approach. I mean, specifically for powerlifters, because one, a lot of the times they come to me kind of out of shape. So we need to improve the aerobic conditioning. A lot of the times we need to actually put some muscle mass on them. And so you can kind of kill two birds with one stone um, while also tackling their strength. But uh, so I like doing a lot of that stuff, but then at the same time, it's um, yeah, there's just definitely differences in like response to, to strength. Like I have some people who, if I were to give them like triples and doubles for a long time, not even for a long time, but just for like kind of a reasonable amount of time, they just completely blow up. Whereas if I give them like somewhere between fives and eights, they get hella strong and it always translates to a new one RM, which is like where, whereas like for, for a lot of people, if they increase their eight RM, there is like not a lot of carryover to one RM. Like the technique is just too different, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it just really depends, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I was re- watching, uh, 
some podcast or something. It was Sean Noriega. And he was saying how he was doing sets of eight, I think. Might have been sets of 10 in the paused deadlift the week of his meet. So during his peak week, he was still doing. Yeah, he was still doing sets of eight, which is like, but that's what he found. Like he had to keep in those reps all the way up, even through his peak. And his taper was like 10% reduction in volume or something, like something super, super small. Whereas other people, they just need way more, way more of a taper and and way more uh, of a reduction in volume. And I, I always found like, sometimes people assume that I train a certain way based on how I look. So they'll assume like, okay, you're way bigger than you are strong. Therefore you must do only like sets of 20 or sets of 15. Mm-hmm. That's not the case at all. Right. Like I've done lots of singles, doubles, triples. I just don't, it's just like whatever I do, strength is always slow. And then size is easy. Right. It's like, it doesn't matter if I use like the best program for, for strength. It just doesn't respond the same way. And, you know, I can do sets of, sets of eight, 10, 12, doubles, triples, um, like speed reps. I haven't messed around with chains or bands, but I don't think that's going to be like the thing that <laughs> explodes my lifts. No. <laughs> um, probably, probably, I don't know. Probably, probably not. Um, probably not. But yeah, I've tried a bunch of different stuff and some people just like, yeah, they just respond better, better in that way. But then, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you just sort of have to accept what you respond to and yeah. just sort of make the best of it, I guess. I've been, I've been trying, like kind of experimenting with a couple of my athletes um, with higher frequency approaches, which I don't exactly know how you train. I don't know if you do like kind of a regular upper lower split or, or if you have like um, kind of a different paradigm set up. Um, I know that I've been able to actually like reduce volume for quite a few of my athletes while increasing the amount of frequency that we're doing and getting better results with, with strength. Um, and even for, for hypertrophy, the same thing, um, actually as well, just kind of by redistributing it and like having not necessarily full body days, but more blended days almost like a power building type thing where you might like squat and bench one day, but, but for this, you'd probably be doing like, um, I don't know, like shoulders and back or, or yeah. something like that. Right. So you're kind of having a little bit more of a blend to get a higher frequency. And, um, but that seems to be pretty effective for like a lot of people. I don't know. It, it's, it's just fun to kind of experiment with shit, I guess, but it's, it's pretty yeah. crazy when you see like what works for this person, and then you have another person who's maybe like, I mean, maybe this is more relevant for me because like I have a couple athletes who are in the same like 56 kilo weight class and they're all incredibly strong. But what was res- like, what works for each one of them is like so different. Like one, you know, she needs to be pushed hard, but she can't handle high intensity for very long. The other one I could get her to do literally one arms like every day, basically. And she gets super strong. Um, another one I have her doing like, five sets of triples on like on squat and then like, or no, like four four sets of fives on squats at like 80% the week of her, like actually not even just the week of, but like on Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, she competes. So like three days later she competes. She's doing like four sets of five at 80%. 
um, three by five on her deadlift and then five by three at 85% on her, on her bench. And she like, that's perfect for her. And she like fucking crushes it. So it's just like, it's so variable sometimes, but yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been doing higher frequency for a while. Uh, recently I've been doing basically full body every day. Um, which is, I mean, it's um, tough. Like, awful? Can, is, is it awful? <laughs> um, it's, it's not something I'd recommend for beginners. Um, and it's not really powerlifting focused, but you know, basically what I found you have to do is for lower body, you have to have some of the sessions be like leg extensions and nothing else for quads. Like you can't squat with any kind of volume and intensity every day yeah. um, without just breaking or, you know, not progressing. Um, but, but I found that it has worked very, very well for bench. Um, I mean, my bench is not amazing, but like it has been progressing for me. Like any progression is like really hell. Yeah. Moment where it's like, holy shit. I actually like made visible progress. Um, and other people like, Oh, I only put 20 pounds on my bench this month. Like, I guess I'm plateaued because last month was 40 pounds. I'm like, Oh God damn it. Like that's, <laughs> that's not a plateau motherfucker. Yeah. Um, but for me, like, yeah, I found higher frequency. So it's tricasterone gains. Yeah, yeah, I've actually been planning a video. <laughs> um, no, um, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not big into supplements generally, but, you know, it's it's mostly the training from what I found. And just, yeah, again, yeah. experimenting with, with what works for you. And the magnitude of the progression is, yeah, it's going to be a lot of genetics, but, like, still, you should still find what works best for you. And that's what I've found works best for my bench. Um, Eric Helms, he said that like he just he went from benching twice a week to like four times per week and then five and six or something. And it just it worked really, really well um, because he was plateaued before. And yeah, I, I found that, you know, my, my shoulders can take it. And, you know, sometimes it's a little tougher to warm up. But once you're warmed up, like it's almost like recovery is not much of an issue, at least for me. Whereas like if I tried high frequency deadlifting, it just eats you up. It's just like, it's, it's a totally different thing, at least for me. Um, yeah. And so the good thing about full body is that it teaches you like what movements just need more recovery time. And then also what, what muscle groups and what areas you can hit harder or, or not as hard. Like I could work back every day for like three, four, five, six sets to failure like actual failure. And it just doesn't like, I don't even get sore. They're all to true failure. And like, it's just a completely different thing compared to like hamstrings or, or lower back. When I say row, I mean like chest supported and machine stuff. Like the barbell row is kind of a different, a different animal. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Awesome, man. Um, well, I feel like we covered quite a bit of stuff. Was there anything that maybe you wanted to, uh, to leave the listeners with? Uh, again, I guess this is a little bit more focused towards people who are kind of still in that novice phase for bodybuilding, kind of trying to find what works for them. Yeah, just keep experimenting, you know, stay consistent. I know those sort of seems like two opposite things, um, but keep, you know, keep a training log. I know this is some really basic stuff that I'm sure a lot of your listeners are sort of rolling their eyes at, but you know, even if you're more advanced, there are, are almost certainly some stones left to turn over, some things to try. So, you know, keep keep 
you know, finding new sources of information and, you know, don't get dogmatic. That's something that's super easy to do in the fitness industry. Like you find one method and that that's your method. And like, the only thing you should do is this. And, you know, that's usually something that's going to actually keep you back and hold back your progress. Um, because there might be something even in some random like bodybuilding accessory that, that could actually transfer over to the power lifts or vice versa. Like you learn something from a power lifter that transfers over to bodybuilding. And, you know, I, I think especially the more advanced you get, the more important it is to learn, right? Like some people, the more advanced they get, the less they learn because they feel like they, they've learned so much already and they don't need to learn anymore. I look at it as the opposite way, right? Like you're going to hit these diminishing returns like we talked about. And so the only way over those diminishing returns is to learn more and to, to keep, you know, learning new stuff and then applying it and seeing if it works um, in order to sort of fight against that diminishing returns curve um, to try to sort of unflatten it so you can keep, keep making progress. Oh, that makes sense. Awesome, man. So where can people find you? Oh, let's see. It's just my name, Jeffrey Verity Schofield, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, V-E-R-I-T-Y, et cetera. It should autocomplete if you have internet at the moment. Um, <laughs> so it's on Quora, Instagram, and then uh, YouTube as well. And so those are the main platforms that I'm on. Uh, no TikTok yet or ever because I don't really like that platform. But, you know, um, other ones are, are fair game. And then my website is veritifit, V-E-R-I-T-Y-F-I-T.com, which is basically just there to sell my book, which is 20 bucks, 200 pages, lots of useful information to be found there. Awesome, man. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys. Make sure you go check them out. Give them a follow. Um, man, thanks so much for jumping on. It was great chatting. Yeah, man. Had a good time. <laughs>